0: Shalom Aleichem. Welcome to the Shmooze, the Yiddish Book Center's podcast. I'm Lisa Newman, and today I'm visiting with Dorothy Rosenberg to speak about *Girl with Two Landscapes*, the wartime va- diary of Lena Yedwab. Dorothy is Lena's youngest daughter, born and raised in Paris, where she got a master's in American literature. She studied Yiddish with Rachel Ertel and Itzik Naborski in Paris and participated in the Columbia University Summer Yiddish Program in 1985. She was a YIVO Fellow at New York in 1985 through 87, and was an intern at the Yiddish Book Center in 1986. She studied translation in Paris and has worked in publishing as a technical translator. She moved to the United States in 1990 and lives in Cambridge, Mass., with her husband and two children. Four of them have performed as part of the Workers' Circle Chorus (laughs) of Bessereveld. Welcome, Dorothy. Um, And so by way of background, I thought I'd give a bit of a bio um, of Lena, who was born in Bialystok in 1924. She was a student at Ziko School. At 16, she went to Dreskenik in Lithuania, I hope I got that pronunciation correctly, Um, uh, to be a camp counselor. The war broke out and camp organizers tried to return to bialystok but the railroad was bombed so they took the children deep into the ural mountains in russia the summer camp turned into an orphanage where lena spent two years the diary which lena wrote in yiddish and was beautifully translated by Solomon beinfeld begins with lena leaving home for the camp could you tell me how you found the diary and how it came to be translated
1: Yes, so growing up, I'd heard about her diary, but she always referred to it as a Russian diary. So I actually thought it had been written in Russian, but she was a very private person. So she never really talked much about her you know, childhood or the war years. And ironically, we found out of the, the diary when in the, um, the early 90s, she started um, having a neurodegenerative disease. And my father asked her to transcribe her diary in order to sort of jog her memory. He hadn't read it either. I mean, she hadn't even let him read it. So she started you know, typing it up. And at some point she couldn't even do that. So he took over and he had the whole diary typed up and then he published it in Yiddish in Paris. And so that came about around in 1997. And that was the year my son was born. And at that time, my mom didn't even know who I was. So my my mom never knew that I had children. And so here you know, is, I'm 34, I have a newborn baby and I'm reading this diary that my mother wrote from ages 16 to 20 and she's half my age. And it was it was like really very heart-wrenching because I needed her so much at that time. I was desperate to sort of share with her, you know, my son. And, um, and I'm reading about her life when she's half my age and discovering things about her that I never knew. And, um, and you know, um, and my father said to me at the time. So he published it in Yiddish in Paris, and he said to me, you know, wouldn't it be wonderful to publish it in the, you know, in the United States? And as it turns out, I had worked in publishing in foreign rights for five years, and even though at that time I was no longer working in publishing, I still had some publishing contacts, and so, and I I was sort of like you know. I don't know, I sort of foolishly, oh, I can say to him, oh, I can do that. I didn't really think through how I would do it. But anyway, I did reach out to some of my publishing contacts and um, and I found a publisher, Holmes and Meyer, who uh, was willing to publish it. And so um, and, and my father found Shalom Beinfeld, who, even though he lives in Cambridge, my father had met in Paris at the Madame Library. And so, um, so I got in touch with Sean, and he took it on even before we had found a publisher, and he translated it so that by the time I found a publisher, I had some pages to to show because obviously the publisher didn't know Yiddish, and um, and we got it published, and I got you know um, a forward from Irina Klepish, and we kept the. Um, Introduction to the Yiddish edition that had been written by Itzhak Niborsky, and so um, and so the, the 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 American edition came about this way.
0: I found the diary, which I pretty much read in one sitting because it really pulls you in. Um, and I hope this is okay to say, very different from other accounts I've read of those in the midst of the war, which was what was so interesting and I think really compelling. I mean, Lena brings one into the everyday. And I think she does that both professionally and also historically in terms of the world she's living in. It's fascinating to me that she's aware of what's going on in the outside world. And this plays against where she's living and how she's coping with this. And I'd love to hear your thoughts on this. I felt that it was a diary that maybe she would have meant others to read because of how it tells a very um, important story from a couple of different perspectives. I'd love to hear your thoughts on that.
1: So I think my mom throughout her life was really an aspiring writer. And um, and I, I mean, I think she kept the diary just for her own purposes to keep her sanity, to preserve her native language because while she was in Russia, um, the, um, the orphanage um, director didn't want the kids to speak Yiddish. He wanted them to speak Russian. And so she wanted to keep her link to her native language. And so she, she wrote it in Yiddish for that reason. And it was, you know, this, on the one hand, a very sort of private um, diary, but because she had literary aspiration, you know, I'm sure that there was a part of her that maybe, you know, I don't know if she would have thought of publishing that because she was so private that, you know, she never even let us read it. But I think there was this sort of tension between her literary aspiration and her, you know, private thoughts.
0: Um, it's um, it's interesting the the might not be the right word, but the conflict um, of Yiddish in her life and her desire to stick with Yiddish as it was so deeply rooted in her childhood as a Yiddish speaker. And the challenges of that at the camp. And it comes out in the diary. Uh, And, uh, you know, later on, I wanted to speak with you a little bit about where her life took her after this. But Yiddish is so, it was core to who she was. And she felt very connected to it.
1: Yeah. And, you know, and she went to the the school in Bialystok, which was um, a secular Yiddish school where they really emphasized, you know, Yiddish language and literature. So I think she carried that through with her. Um, And and to go back to what you were saying about what makes this diary unique is that I think a lot of um, writings from the Holocaust are written from the point of view of either ghettos or concentration camps. And I think what makes this one so special is that she's in Russia. So when she talks about the the war, she's looking at it from the point of view of the Russian front, which is, you know, and she actually, until the end of the war, didn't really know what was happening. Um, And she only found out after the war what had happened in the concentration camps. She really did not know. So I think that 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 focus on, on the, you know, the Russian front is, is very, you know, interesting. And also the fact that since, um, you know, she was born in Poland, but in 39, um, Bialystok was, in, you know, invaded by the Russians. So she became a young pioneer, you know, young communist. And so that is also sort of the prism through, through which she looks at everything, which again, you know, is is very different from what you've you know you've seen other diaries or other you know writings from from that epoch.
0: Yeah, I, I again that that figures into the diary a lot. Her yeah work with pioneers, and it is fascinating. I also was really intrigued by the fact that every so often she's getting news from the outside world through the radio, and yeah, yeah. and also how. It must have taken incredible reserves. You know, this this was a somewhat, again, probably not the right word, idyllic, but it was an easier place to be, um, yes. and she appreciated that. Um, uh, there were, you know, there were lots of challenges. I mean, it gets hard and harder and harder um, in terms of daily existence, but how she found the resolve to keep going and help all of the kids that were there as well is just incredible because she's also quite realistic about the fact that she probably would not see her family again.
1: Well, I think that she only found out towards the end, you know, when she wrote Letters Home and they, you know, came back to her with uh, Addressy Unknown. And that's when she sank in. But I think for the first few years, she was still hoping, you know, to, to find them. And actually, I remember growing up that for many years, she would still be sort of combing through, you know, Yiddish newspapers around the world and trying to see if maybe somebody she knew survived. Because I mean, they didn't have like death certificates or whatever sent to them, so I think for many many years she still, you know, hoped that maybe by some miracle somebody would have survived.
0: Mm-hmm. She seems um, a woman who was, um, in so many ways, a bit ahead of herself in terms of the sort of feminist movement or how she propelled herself or wanted to propel herself through life, um, and again, professionally. I, I would love to hear you speak a little bit about that um in terms of her character as it teases itself out in the diary and then again in, in the accomplishments that she realized in her life.
1: Well, I think some of it was actually part of this sort of Soviet, you know, mentality. I think that there was you know, a sense that women, you know, were capable of doing, you know, as much as men and were, um, you know, roped in to do a lot of things. I mean, I remember being struck by one of the things she said that she wrote on the uh, the Moscow um, subway system, um, you know, and so I, I think there was a sense that women, you know, could do um, as much as men, and ironically, even though uh, of of my two parents, she was the one who was the most formally educated. I mean, she, she stopped, you know, shy one year shy of getting a master's degree. I mean, once she got to Paris, um, she, you know, she ended up being a homemaker and helping my father in the store in terms of what mm-hmm. she was doing professionally. And when I had to fill out those school forms and write, you know, what your parents did, my mom was, you know a homemaker, which, you know, was really ironic. And actually a lot of her friends who, the ones who stayed in the Soviet Union actually became academics. Um, Some that went to the United States also, I think had more opportunities, but I think the French system is a little less forgiving. First of all, French was her fifth language at that point. And I think in France, when you, you know, if you don't go through, you know, the system, it's much more difficult to sort of like change paths and reinvent yourself. So she didn't have many opportunities in France to sort of have a career, which I think she would definitely have had if she had been pretty much anywhere else in the world. But she channeled her energies and her intellect towards, um, you know, activities um, at the Madame Library, where she very often recited poetry and um, organized literary evenings and and she contributed to the Yiddish press um, articles in Unser Stime. So she was certainly, um, you know, very well regarded in the Yiddish cultural circles in in, in Paris, even though, you know, from the perspective of the, you know, French people that she, you know, lived among didn't, didn't really have a career to speak of. So Lena was very active in the Yiddish life in Paris. And one of the ways she was involved was that in, um, in 1983, um, Yitzhak Niborsky um, uh, put out a, a collection of um, audio tapes of Yiddish language and called Shalom Yiddish. And my mom was the voice, the female voice on that. Um, um, Yiddish language learning. And actually, when I was at the summer program in, at Columbia um, in New York in eighty in 85, one day I was in my dorm room and I was studying and I heard my mom's voice and I, I was very surprised I was, how come I can hear her voice. And one of the other students was using the language tapes and it was her voice on it. Um, and um, and the Medem Library, um, I mean, the, or rather the Maison de la Culture Yiddish, um, has named one of their classrooms after my parents, Lena and Shalom Rosenberg, um, as, as an homage to all the work that both of them did um, in the Medem Library.
0: And did you speak Yiddish at home with her? Uh, well, your father, so, yeah. You so and your my My parents spoke
1: Yiddish at home among themselves. Um, What happened was like when when my brother was born, my brother was born in 48. And well, first of all, when my parents arrived in Paris in 48, my mom gave birth and then she had tuberculosis. So she had to spend one year in the sanatorium and and away from from my brother and then when she came back my father had tuberculosis and he had to leave for a few months but anyway she's she at that point my parents french was you know pretty non-existent so they certainly spoke yiddish with him but once my my brother started school um she even wanted to teach him how to write in yiddish and And the teachers at the time did not believe in bilingual education. And they told her that she needed to speak French to him. And so I think that what ended up happening is my parents spoke Yiddish, you know, among themselves. And even though we understood it, we answered in French. And then at some point they would sort of speak French to us. I mean, you know, I think. They, they, they may not even have been aware of what language they were speaking. They would respond in kind. I mean, this was a household where there were some friends with whom they spoke Russian and there were some friends with whom they spoke Polish. And then they spoke French with us. And, you know, there was even one time when my mom was on the phone with my father and she said to him, she got frustrated with what he was saying. französisch?" meaning, don't you understand French? But she said it in Yiddish because she wasn't even aware of what language she was speaking. Um, so, so we grew up, I think my brother certainly probably knew it best because, you know, he was the firstborn and my parents really didn't know much French at that point, but all three of us grew up certainly understanding it and, and, you know, at various points, um, um, you know, either speaking it or, I mean, I, I went back because I think I'm the youngest and there was such a big age difference. And, you know, I think for my siblings, maybe there was more of a push to sort of assimilate but I was the youngest my parents were old enough to be my grandparents I didn't have grandparents and I think I started being aware of the fact that there was something there that that needed to be held on to and so I went back and started studying Yiddish I'm not even sure what you know prompted me to do that but I certainly um I started studying Yiddish uh, when I was still in high school um and and my parents so, so my mom, my mom's, you know, could write in French. My father spoke five languages and read five languages fluently, but didn't write any except Yiddish. And so um, at some point when my mom, you know, lost all of her language abilities and I was living here, um, my mom used to be the one who wrote letters in French, but then then my father was the only person and you know that was before the internet and whatever and so he wrote to me in yiddish so i was able to read it and you know write to him in yiddish um so it was always very you know a very important part of of our life and the songs like you know when they their friends would come over and they would have tea and they would sing songs and so when I when my family in, here um, joined the uh, the Yiddish course of the work, Worker Circle, of uh, Reveld, you know, we learned a lot of those songs that I had grown up hearing my, my parents sing with their friends. Mm-hmm.
0: Must have been very heartening to them that you pursued Yiddish.
1: Yeah, I mean, and and you know, I certainly remember, especially when my kids were young, because my my son started in the chorus when he was ten, and then my daughter did when she was eight, and we would, you know, I would be so proud to have them sing to my, you know, to my to my father, you know, those songs, and uh, yeah, he was certainly tickled pink with it.
0: So before I let you go, um, I'd be curious to ask, and this may be a hard question, um, if you could speak to your mother about this diary, what would you want to ask her? Well,
1: I don't know necessarily that I would want to ask her things. It was more that I found that there was something very ironic about the fact that you know, she was a very private person, you know, and as much as my father would always talk to us about his you know, wartime stories and we knew a lot about him, she didn't, she was very private and, and she didn't talk much. And I feel like in some weird way, I feel like there's so many things that I, I think I shared with her in my past. I chose to live in a different language. It was my choice, it wasn't imposed on me. She was thrust into a life where she had to live in a different language, but I did study language and literature the same way she did. And I did, you know, live my life in a different language. And I feel like there's a lot of sort of, you know, experiences that I wish I could have shared with her. Certainly I wish I could have shared with her, you know, motherhood. And that was something that was so um, important to her. But um, yeah, I think that's, you know, I, would, I wish, but I, she would never have let us re- re- read it. If, if she had been healthy, I mean, I am sure she would have gone to her grave with it and taken it with her. She, So it's very ironic to have made this document that was so private, you know, public and open to everyone. And, and I think she would not have been happy about that. So It's, it's a sort of like paradox, you know. Um, I'm doing it to honor her and to, you know, to share her experience, but she may not have wanted me to do so. Um, and I, there are a few things that I would like to sort of, you know, mention, um, I'd like to, to give kudos to the translator, um, Shalom Beinfeld, because, you know, my mom didn't speak English, but of all the uh, foreign editions that have come out, this is the one where, weirdly enough, I hear her voice the best. So I think he really was very truthful to her voice. And he also, because he's a historian, he added a lot of you know, footnotes and background information that really illuminate for the lay reader, a lot of information that would be completely opaque that that the English, you know, the American reader would, would not understand. And I think it really enriches the narrative. So I wanna give him, you know, uh, credit. And then I also wanna mention something about the cover art because the cover of the book, um, is a painting by Yassel Bergna, who was a friend of my parents. The, name, the title of the book is actually taken after the title of the painting. This painting is called Girl with Two Landscapes because there's this woman holding, you know, a painting within a painting. And I just thought that it echoed so well the fact that, you know, here's a woman who has this inner landscape as opposed to the landscape where she's living. So I thought it was very... You know, fitting um, that this um, this painting should um, be on 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 the cover of the book.
0: Um, yeah, it's it's a wonderful work, and his work is certainly um, so interesting. We just did something on Bergner recently, in and Pakenberger. Yeah, I saw
1: that. Yeah, I yeah. actually took a class with Professor Roskies at JTS when I was a YIVO fellow. Uh
0: huh. Ah, so you read the essay. Oh, yes. yes, I did. Excellent. Excellent. Um, you know, I meant to read one passage, if, if I may. Sure. Um, and again, it's, I think, yeah, you might want to just comment on it in terms of the Yiddish, um, which is, um, she writes early on in her diary, um, it's half a year already and I'm away from home, half a year in which I haven't seen a Yiddish book, newspaper or journal. I long for Yiddish literature, to see Yiddish in print, It seems to me that I've already forgotten the literary language. At times I have to struggle to translate an easily understood Russian word into Yiddish. How annoying is that? The thought that I may have to spend long years in this environment, that I'll forget Yiddish more and more makes me very sad. Yeah, I think that speaks a lot about her relationship with the language.
1: Yes, it does. I mean, and at the same time, you know, she was able to quote in her diary from Heine in the German and Polish writers and Polish and Russian authors in Russian. And she had all these cultural references at her fingertip. And yet she was clinging. But I know, you know, from personal experience that if you don't use a language, it's easy to forget, I mean, I occasionally forget a French word and it's my native language. It's just like, you know, a language needs speakers. It needs, um,
0: you know, it, it needs a, a place to be expressed. So. Well, it's good that we're all um, involved in carrying on with keeping keeping those language speakers and, and native speakers um, mentoring translators so that we really can um dig and discover the riches of the literature and the language and the culture. Um, yeah. I wanna thank you so much for bringing this to publication. It's really um a a wonderful um way to understand both Lena's life and also um what that experience was like and so it, um was like, excuse me. And I would also note that I'm not a footnote fan. I can't believe I'm gonna put this out on the airwaves, but you mentioned the inclusion of them, and I found them extremely helpful. They're not; um, they really do fill out a lot of um, bits and pieces there that I otherwise would have not understood in terms of the context. Um, so, thanks again, Dorothy, for for this and for all of your work. And um, I look forward; you'll be here at the center for an upcoming program. Uh,
1: thank you for having me. I look forward to meeting you in person. All right,
0: and I hope that we can work together, keep up the good work, and um, thanks again. Thank you. For our listeners, the book is Girl with Two Landscapes, The Wartime Diary of Lena Yetwab, 1941 to 1945. You can purchase a copy at shop.yiddishbookcenter.org online or here at the Yiddish Book Center directly. Um, and I encourage you to get a copy. Um, it's It's really a great read. Thanks again for joining me today, Dorothy, and we look forward to welcoming you to the center. Thanks again. Thank you.
1: You have been listening to The Schmooze, a production of the Yiddish Book Center in Amherst, Massachusetts. To learn more about this podcast and to subscribe, visit YiddishBookCenter.org. I'm Elizabeth Carteropoli. Until next time,
0: be well and be healthy.